The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Let's remain standing and praise God as we read his word. Our scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to, reveal, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God for all of us, the people of God. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your presence here. God, we thank you that you you long to draw us to you. You long to speak to us and to fill us with your presence. God, help us to, to open our hearts and our minds to you, to your spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to each of us today. And God, we pray for Pastor Chris. God, that you would strengthen him with your spirit and your power. And that you would... Uh, help his mind to be clear and that you would fill him with your spirit and just guide him in everything he preaches this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, today we're beginning a uh, journey through the book of First Peter. If you know me, I like to preach book by book. I think it's the best way to really learn and grasp the Bible is to look at it book by book. We're calling this uh, series Lessons for Living as Misfits. Have you ever felt like a misfit before? First Peter is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to believers who are dispersed throughout Asia Minor. And he calls these believers exiles because they are citizens of heaven and they feel as strangers or misfits on this earth. Now, in the post-Christian culture in which we now find ourselves, we are feeling increasingly like misfits, being in the world but not of the world. And this can be quite frustrating at times because how many know we like to fit in? So throughout 1 Peter, we will see many practical, relevant lessons on how to live in this world as misfits. And the focus of our text today is on learning to endure suffering. And by virtue of being misfits, these believers to which Peter is writing are experiencing an increasing level of persecution and what he calls various trials. And so this letter is a great help to us who are dealing, in fact, with pain and suffering. Last week I told you that one of my favorite parts of Christmas is the giving of gifts. And there is a part, though, about uh, the giving of gifts that, that I don't care for, and that's when you're, you buy something for someone and you're not sure if they're going to like it. And when they open it, they may not like it, but they have to act kind of awkwardly like they, in fact, love it, right? But they're thinking, like, if you buy them clothes, they're thinking, I actually have to wear this so he'll think I like it. Right, so as a matter of fact, this Christmas I almost did a thing. All right, so I thought it might be a good idea to um, to wrap a key and put it under our tree with my soon-to-be 16-year-old's uh, name on it. And when he opened it, he would be all excited, and he'd run to the the door after opening this key, and he'd run to the door and he'd look outside only to find nothing because we just bought him a key for Christmas. But Nikki wouldn't let me do that, and so I, I did not do it. But you know what? We've all probably at some time or another received a gift that was not what we would thought it would be or a gift that maybe we didn't quite appreciate. Sometimes that can leave us with kind of unmet expectations. And it's kind of like that for many new Christians in receiving God's free gift of salvation Here's what I mean. Many believers are shocked when they find out that the Christian life is not what they thought it would be. They've watched too much TV preaching where it's all kind of cupcakes and rainbows. And they find out after a few months that, no, this life, this Christian life is not free of suffering and pain. As a matter of fact, the Christian life involves a new level of suffering. I want you to think with me through this for a moment. As Christians who are still in this world, we are still um, susceptible to just the regular, normal pain and suffering that everybody else goes through. It's part of being in a fallen world. On top of this, we now have new persecution and suffering because there are those who will come against us because of our faith. Not only that, 
Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says this, you have a real adversary, the devil, who is seeking someone to devour. He's going about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So congratulations, you're a Christian. This is a life with, of a lot of pain and suffering. Oh, there are great joys, but it is not free of pain and suffering. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul uh, tells new followers that this is Acts 14.22. He says this, new followers of Christ. He says, through many tribulations, you shall enter the kingdom of God. What I love about the Bible is it's very honest in this. Like if you read the Bible, this is what you should expect. But there is great news for the Christian. And it's this, that we are not alone in our suffering. We have hope and we have help when we suffer. And here's what Peter is telling these believers and us. In these first several verses, he does not tell believers how to escape suffering, but rather how to endure it. And so that's our goal today is to learn to endure suffering and pain. And I want to look at three ways through this text that we can do that. Number one, if we're going to endure suffering, we must remember the past, namely God's saving work. Here's what I mean. You know that when you suffer at any level, from persecution or any other trial, the enemy would love in that moment to make shipwreck of our faith. All right? If you're going through a situation, the enemy would love you uh, to doubt God's love for you. He would love you to think that God has forgotten about you or abandoned you or doesn't care about you. So here's what's interesting. Peter begins this letter not by addressing these believers' pain, but by reminding them of what they have in Jesus Christ. Look again at the first few verses. Verse 1, he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. So we just sang about this. If you're in Christ, you are chosen. That's what he's talking about. These are the saved. Uh, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And the Father, this means he has set his affections upon you. That ought to delight us to know that the creator of heavens and the earth has set his affections upon us. And then he says this, in the sanctification of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is involved in this too. He convicted us of our sin and has set us apart for God's good purposes. And he says, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. Peter's reminding us now of Christ's sacrifice, which has redeemed us. Then he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. According to his great mercy. Peter's reminding us we have all of this in Christ not because we deserve it, but because of God's great mercy. And he says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which again reminds us Christ died so that we could have this life, and he too has been raised. So Peter is calling these believers to remember the tangible ways in which God has loved them. Now listen, 
If you're going through a time of trouble, of tribulation, of persecution, whatever it might be, a time of suffering, where you are affected by the trouble and the evil of this world, listen to me. I can't answer you specifically why God is letting you go through this right now. I don't have a specific answer. But I do know this. I know what it, poss- it cannot be. It cannot possibly be a lack of love on God's part. It cannot be that he does not care about you because he went to infinite lengths to redeem you from this world, to reconcile you to himself. So we cannot doubt the love of God in times of suffering. We must look back and remember what he's done for us. So if you're here today and you've just questioned, Lord, I don't feel like you love me. I don't feel like you care about me. I feel like you have abandoned me. Remember what he's done for you in his saving work. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we don't only look back if we want to endure in suffering. Number two, we must also look ahead. We must anticipate the future. Verse 3, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. Here it is, to a living hope. If you're born again, you have within you a living hope, even in the times of greatest pain and darkness. He says this happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We're being reminded here of our future salvation. So you need to understand this. There are both present and future realities to salvation. Right now, if we are truly in Christ... We are justified, meaning that we have right standing with God. We're as justified as we will ever be because Jesus' righteousness has been put on our account. It's been imputed to us. So when I say today emphatically that I am saved, I mean that right now I am justified before God. I have right standing with the Father. I am His child But there's also a future aspect of salvation, and it is this. Peter says that we have a living hope because of Jesus' resurrection. Now, why does that affect our future, our living hope? It's because his resurrection is a pledge for our own resurrection, those of us who are in Christ. Meaning this. Because Christ has been raised, if we are in him, we can be encouraged that one day our pain too will be over. That we will be raised, we will have glorified bodies, and we will be with the Lord forever. And every tear will be wiped from our eyes. How many look forward to that day? Now when it happens, when when this happens, when we are resurrected with Christ we will have forever, all of eternity, to joy what, enjoy what Peter calls this heavenly inheritance. Now, let me just ask you a question today, talking about Christmas gifts. How many of, all, uh, of you remember what you received for Christmas five years ago? Think about it, just for a second. Raise your hand if you know. Okay, how many of you all remember and utilize every gift that you received last year? Raise your hand. Nobody. You know why that is? 
because the treasures of this world fade. They lose value. What you love today and think is going to bring you the greatest satisfaction, you won't even remember next year. Okay? The, the, the treasures of this world are fleeting. Okay? They're here today, gone tomorrow. Now, we don't know a lot about our heavenly inheritance, and I believe that is because we couldn't comprehend or handle the goodness and the wonder and the glory of what's to come. But Peter does give us three adjectives to describe our future salvation. Here's what it is. This heavenly inheritance is, number one, imperishable, meaning that it cannot be destroyed. It is secure. So you're not going to come to the end of your life and, 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 and pass and, and then be raised with Christ and go, oh, you know what? Sorry. You know, it was here, but then it was gone. Like, No, it's imperishable. Number two, it is undefiled, which means it's not polluted or tainted by the sin of this world. Everything in this world has been polluted by sin, by the fall. Number three, he says it is unfading. In other words, it never decays, which means we get to enjoy our heavenly inheritance for all of eternity. 10,000 years go by, but that inheritance has not faded at all. This is reason to celebrate. So, Peter points these believers who are suffering to their heavenly inheritance. And when we look at this in the midst of suffering, we can be filled with inexpressible joy. Verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, Christ, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Understand, this is in the midst of painful moments. Nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is saying as we love Christ, as we cling to him, believe in him, trust in him, abide in him, we will even now be filled with joy that is inexpressible because the end result is eternal salvation. Now, this gets even better. Verse 6. Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, watch this, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what this tells me? Your trials, your situation, they have purpose. They're not senseless. And they're working for your good. They're preparing you for eternal salvation. They're preparing you for future glory. See, trials serve as the fire in which our faith is truly tested. And it's purified. A goldsmith would put his precious metal into the smelting furnace just long enough for the impurities to be burned away. In my study this week, I found that in, in the East at times that, that a goldsmith would actually leave this precious metal in the fire until he could see his own reflection in it. And I thought, oh, how interesting is that? Because normally when we go through trials and tribulation as believers, if we're truly in the faith, we come out the other side looking more like Jesus. I look back to some of the darkest seasons of my life, 
And though I did not enjoy them, I'm grateful for them because as I was in the fire, God was doing something in my life, and I came out looking just a little more like my Savior. This means, see, our trials have purpose. They're working for our good and for God's glory. I love the, the passage. I share it often, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul says this, we do not lose heart. And if you're suffering today, I want to tell you, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. And you say, oh, you don't know what I, I'm going through. It's not light and momentary. Well, wait. He says this. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Meaning this. Even though your suffering seems so weighty right now, it seems to consume you right now. It seems so great right now. When you compare it to what's waiting for you in eternity, it'll seem light and momentary in the end. And it is actually, watch this. So it's not just to endure. Watch this. It says it's actually preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Watch this. For the things that are seen, the things in your life right now that you feel like you'll never get through, these are transient they're here today, gone tomorrow. But the things that are unseen, the things that Peter is telling us about, they're eternal, friends. Trials are working for us to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory. Let me tell you something else that trials do for us. They're meant to bring us an assurance of salvation. And here's what I mean. When we're put through the fire, it's a testing Peter says, of the genuineness of our faith, meaning this. When nominal Christians who might go to church, who might help out around the church, who might every once in a while read their Bible, when nominal name-only Christians go through trials, here's what they do. They throw in the towel and they say, oh, this is not for me. Showing that their faith is not real. But Christians... Real Christians, real followers of Jesus who treasure Christ above all things, they go through the fire and they come out strengthened, still glorifying God, maybe not understanding what they went through, but they come out not bitter but better, which ought to give you, if you've been through this and you come out the other side with great faith, it ought to give you a great assurance of your salvation. Somebody said that we ought to think of ourselves as spiritual toothpaste. Pressures, trials bring out what's really on the inside. I love what J.C. Ryle once said. He said, trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, and to drive us to our knees. It's through times of great darkness that I've been compelled to spend more time in prayer, more time in the Bible. And the Lord uses those seasons for our good and His glory. So if you want to endure suffering, you've got to look back to the past at God's immense love for you. And then you've got to look ahead with great anticipation to future glory. And number three, you've got to find strength in the present. Because God is a present help in time of need. See, God's promise 
is not to keep you from suffering. It's not to keep me from suffering, but it's to be with us in the midst of suffering. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of a death. See, I will walk through the valley at times, but I'll fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. You will go through valleys, but you can rest assured that Christ is with you in the valley. And that gives me, and I hope it gives you, great comfort. How is it that we find strength in present trials? Number one is this. You've got to realize that God is your protection. Verse 5 says this. By God's power, we believers are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. If you're in a fiery trial today, listen, you are truly a follower of Jesus. This thing will not overtake you. It will not make shipwreck to your faith. As you hold on to Jesus, as you abide in Jesus, you know what he's doing? He is protecting you. He is protecting that future inheritance. Why? Why can you be so sure? Because the power that's guarding this is the power of God. You can rest assured that God is powerful enough to keep you from falling. Amen? And Peter writes about these fiery trials. It's interesting. He had to have in his mind that Old Testament story of the three Hebrew servants of the Lord, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the story in Daniel chapter 3. We read that because of these servants of God, their unwillingness to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's golden image that he had set up. And since they would not worship his false gods, the king said, oh, I'm going to have them thrown into the fiery furnace. By the way, he had it heated seven times to seven times the normal temperature. The men, as a matter of fact, that threw these three Hebrew men into the fire, they were burned and died. Yet these servants of God were unharmed. When the king looked in, he said, oh, I thought we th threw in three, but now there is four, and one of them, the fourth, looks like the Son of God. Here these men, they went in bound, but they're loose. They're not, they're not bound anymore. They're in the midst of this furnace. And they're walking around, and there's a fourth person in there, and this is the pre-incarnate Son of God with them, protecting them. And they come out, the Bible says they come out the other side not even smelling like smoke. Which tells me this, that God may allow you at times to be put in the fiery furnace, but you're not in there alone. God is with you. And you can come in, if you're a true believer, you can come out of that furnace not even smelling like smoke, stronger than when you went in. I want you today to find strength in knowing that you are not suffering alone. God is with you, and we're with you. One of the greatest blessings of the church is this, that we're meant to comfort one another in seasons of suffering. We've got to share with each other what we're going through. We don't know unless you tell us. We need to be there one for another. You are not alone in your suffering. There's one other understanding that brings great comfort in this present time of suffering, and it's this. Verses 10 and 11 tell us that 
though the Old Testament prophets didn't know when the prophecies would be fulfilled or realized, they did prophesy not only that Christ would be glorified, but that he would also suffer. Isaiah 53, 3 says this, He, Christ, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, and watch this, acquainted with grief. That's your Savior, acquainted with grief, which tells me we have a God, we have a Lord who understands what it is to suffer. And it says, as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Let me ask you this. Have you experienced persecution? So has Christ. Have you experienced physical pain? So has Christ. Has the pain ever been so bad that you have felt forsaken by God the Father himself? That happened to Jesus. My God, my God, he said, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever been rejected? So has Christ. Have you been lied about? So has Christ. Have you been hated for doing good things, trying to help people? So has Christ. Have you had somebody close to you turn on you? It happened to Jesus. The point, you have a Lord who can sympathize with you. And that brings great comfort in pain. Uh, the great Charles Spurgeon said this, that for himself, in seasons of great pain, that he found that the sympathy of Jesus is the next most precious thing to his sacrifice. Isn't it great to know that we have a Lord who can sympathize with us? Listen, when I went through the depression and mania in several years ago, you know what I wanted? I wanted to talk to somebody who's been there. Because there are lots of people who tried to help me, and I appreciate that. But if you haven't been there, it doesn't offer me a, a great amount of comfort. One of the titles for Jesus that we celebrate during Christmas season is that he is wonderful counselor. Why is he a wonderful counselor? I'll tell you why. Because he suffered like you have suffered, and he suffered like I have suffered. So therefore, he can help us in our times of trial because he can relate to us. That is great news that Christ can sympathize with us. But if you would come. One of the um, problems with Christianity for many people boils down to the, the problem of evil and suffering. And they say something like this. If God is good and he's all-powerful, why would he allow the amount of evil and suffering that we see in this world? And that's a fair question. How many have ever wondered that? Well, I don't have a complete answer for it. I do know this. We live in a fallen world. That's, that's it right there. We, we live in a fallen world. And one day, for those who are in Christ, we won't suffer. Evil and suffering will be done away with. Why does he allow it now? I don't have a complete answer for that. But I can tell you what it's not. To remind you what I said in the beginning, it's not that he doesn't love us. Because he went to infinite lengths, infinite lengths to redeem us. But it's also not that he is indifferent to suffering. That he's up there and he just doesn't care. 
It cannot possibly be that God is indifferent to suffering because He was willing Himself to come down in our mess and suffer Himself. Why do you suffer? Why do I suffer? I don't know the complete answer. But I know it's not that God fails to love me. I know it's not that He's indifferent towards me. And I'm grateful for this, that He is a present help in time of need. Some of the times I'm closest to the Lord is in my times of suffering. It's probably true for you as well. When we were associate pastors in Tucson, Arizona, we worked with a great couple, uh, Dara and Dan Macy. They were our children's pastors. This is a couple who love God with all of their hearts and just committed their life to the service of the Lord. And just right before Christmas, they had moved back to Missouri. Right before Christmas, um, Dara's mother, in her early 60s, driving to Dara's house to deliver a, a quilt that she had made by hand. She'd been working on it for some time, and she wanted to give it to Dara and Dan and their children, which would be her children and grandchildren. And on the way there, right before Christmas, just days before, a drunk driver meets her head on. The drunk driver relatively walks away relatively, relatively unharmed. And Dara's mother loses her life in a moment. My understanding is she had just come from Bible study. And you know what? That can happen to you if you're a believer or if you're not a believer. We live in a fallen world. But do you know what's been remarkable? It's been remarkable to watch Dara and Dan from a distance. I've watched them on Facebook the last couple weeks and have sent them some messages. And to see the, the peace that makes no sense is remarkable. To see their forgiveness. They've already forgiven the man who killed Dara's mother. It's remarkable. God did not keep them from suffering, and I don't know why, but they have great peace in knowing that this is not the end, that the, their mother was saved, and to live as Christ and to die is gain. They look to the future inheritance, and they go, oh, she's all right. And even on this earth, they're not bitter because God is with them through the darkest of times, and they've been able to rejoice in the great memories of their mother in the midst of great pain because God is faithful. And if you're here today and you're in a time of suffering, can I just encourage you, friend, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus who is a present help in time of need. His name is a strong tower. His name is a place of refuge. Run to Jesus. Don't run from him. You have a Savior who can sympathize with you. He knows what it is to feel pain and rejection, and he bids you to come to him. Come to Jesus today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for who you are and all that you have done. We are grateful that you are a present help in time of need. We're grateful that we can run to you during every season of life. And though we go through the valley, that you're there with us in the valley. We're grateful that, that Father, you haven't abandoned us even though at times it feels like it.
We're grateful that, Lord, you will never leave us nor forsake us. We'll th- we thank you that this thing, if we're truly in you, this, this thing that we're going through, it will not overtake us. It will not make shipwreck our, of our faith because we're being guarded by your own power. We thank you that no one can snatch us from your hand. We thank you that the enemy can't destroy us because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. God, we thank you today that even in death, even in death, we win because to live is Christ and die is actually gain. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.